be honest. Did you think <laughs> you were, we were going to get to 50 when we started this? I was going to ask you the same thing. I was kind of like, let's just <laughs> let's just get the first episode out and see how it sounds. And then it was like one yeah. foot in front of the other after that. And if I recall, it, it sounded like not good. It was awful. <laughs> and I, I think that was sort of the thing, right? I mean, like, you know, because when you're planning something that you're really excited about, yeah, you know, you take logical steps to to do it the right way, but you're lying to yourself if you're not thinking like, boy, this could this could really be cool. Like if this actually like catches on. And then I heard the first episode and I'm like, oh, we have a long way to go. <laughs> so to get to 50 is a pretty big accomplishment. It is. And it really pains me every time I'm in any of our stats or in iTunes and it shows like the the popularity of each episode that our first episode is among the more popular of our archive. And there's part of me that thinks that people listen to that first one and then never come back for the rest. I kind of wish it was like some of the pilot episodes of like famous TV shows where like, you know, you, you don't really know a lot. You didn't really like not not like the the stuff that you see on like, you know, Netflix and whatnot that are like popular today, but like old shows where like there were like three or four pilots. And like, you know, uh, once the series caught on, nobody really remembered the pilot. It was just kind of what it became like. I really kind of wish it was more like that. But yet somehow this thing just keeps getting played and listened to as as, as people find us. So that's um well, that's what it is, I suppose. It is. Wart, warts and all. I was also thinking about how this this 50th episode, the way that we kind of like came up with this idea and started to execute it is like very true to how we've been doing the show all along, which is me presenting you with a very outlandish idea and you agreeing to it without really <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> and then later being like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> Well, the original idea was let's get 50 questions for the 50th episode. And I didn't hear. I just heard let's get questions for the 50th episode. And I'm like, yeah, in on it. And then this past weekend, you texted me 50 questions. And I'm like, we're not going to get 50 questions. <laughs> like, There's no way. We have some really dedicated people who love and listen to this. But I don't think we're going to get 50 questions. A lot of ideas that I come up with for the podcast anyway are like you need to like reel me back in because, you know, I like to I like to think big and I think at least in this partnership you keep me pretty grounded. Either that think, or you shoot down my ideas, whichever way well, you want to look at it. Well, some of them are bad, so let's <laughs> let's call it as it is. No, um, honestly, they're they're all really like good and creative, and the important thing is is that you make me think. Um, and I think that's the key to having a successful creative partnership with anybody is people who you respect, who are equally as, if not more so talented in, in so many areas and challenge the way you think. I think that's what a great partnership is. And, um, Hey, this is uh, 50, almost 50 in the bank at the end of this. And here's to the next 50 and another 50 after that and keep going. How long do you think we're going to do this for? 53. <laughs> I don't know. I hope I hope we keep doing it forever. I mean, it's it hasn't gotten boring yet. It hasn't gotten frustrating. It hasn't gotten like, oh, God, I have to do. It's been fun. I mean, I mean, listen, when we first started this, like, you know, Ryan wasn't born and, and you know, our, our lives are a little bit different in terms of what things look like. And, you know, um, 
over the last couple of years, like your businesses and things that you're doing has have have taken off your, your opportunities, uh, uh, you know, the ventures that you've gone after writing a book and, you know, all these amazing things have happened in the last few years. And you know, or despite all of that, I don't really know what the right the right word would be, but we still keep going and we still keep coming back to each other and, and you know, texting each other during the week and, you know, having debates about this, that, and the other thing. And that's really where the foundation of this podcast started from. So as long as that keeps happening and we keep doing that, um, I think we're always going to have a place to do an episode and put something out there for, for people to listen and consume. I was thinking about this as I was setting up tonight. Um, and for those who didn't, who don't watch any of our video content, um, in my podcasting closet, I have, um, some studio lights set up and one of them is, no longer working because it caught on fire. And I was thinking about how, you know, in, in 50 episodes, you had a baby and lost your mom and floods and (laughs) fires and like pandemics and like, (laughs) like every big thing that could have happened has happened in, in the time that we've been doing this, which, yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah, if we could make it through all of that stuff, then, you know, anything else feels easy. I think one of the more memorable moments of the time that we've been doing this was honestly a couple of months ago where we had, we had recorded an episode, I think the night, uh, it was, it was basically a week before the country like shut down. And that night was the night that the NBA canceled its seat, the rest of our postponed the rest of its season. Uh, Tom Hanks came down with, with, you know, uh, coronavirus and his wife as well. And, and we had just finished recording and we were kind of talking to each other and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like all these things are happening as I was looking at my phone and it was this like this moment of just pure like what is going to happen here? And yeah, there's been some real major life moments that have taken place and, and um, yeah, this podcast has been at the heart of a lot of them. So it's a special thing in my life and I know it's for you too and can't ask for a better partner in this process and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in the digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media, at pod for creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Should we get into these questions, which yeah, we'll, we got some great ones here. We'll tell you guys up front. There are not 50 questions. Oh, that's what you were going for. 50, 50 questions. So, yeah. Now the market is what the market is, Michelle. So our first question comes from Allison A, who is a person in my community. And her question was, when someone is critiquing your creative work, how do you decide which feedback to accept or reject? And this is really interesting. This just dawned on me that this is the topic of our very first episode. Dealing with creative feedback? Dealing with constructive feedback? Something like that. I should probably <laughs> listen to the episode. We'll link yeah, to it. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. You know, the, the funny thing about the question is when you're talking about someone critiquing your creative work, I think it depends on the person. There's a great line by Bill Parcells where he talks about when he when he coached the Dallas Cowboys. Jimmy will remember this. 
Cowboys are owned by Jerry Jones. Both guys, Parcells and Jones, have these big egos. And the prevailing thought was, boy, how are they both going to get along with one another? They both want all the credit. They both want all of this. And I remember before Bill accepted the job with the Cowboys, they asked them, how do you think you can get along with him? And he's like, no, I could definitely get along with him. And they were like, really, even if he wants to have a say in personnel matters and blah, 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 blah. And he goes, you know, there's this thought that exists out there about me that I can't get along with other people or that I need to have all the credit. He goes, that's not true. He says, you know, it's not that it has to be done my way. He says, you put me in a room with people who I think are up to the task and can do the job. I can definitely relinquish control and power of things and and, and have trust. But you put me in a room with people who aren't or don't have those capabilities. Yeah, I'm going to be defensive about the way I want to do things because I believe in the system. I believe in the way I do it. I'm paraphrasing here. That's always kind of been my guide for accepting criticism on things. Like it's it's one thing for somebody to give an opinion on something who I feel is invested in a field, who is dedicated to their work, who cares about products, who 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 has that that not only critical eye but caring eye towards the product. But it's another thing to have somebody just, you know, say, well, I don't think I think this or I think that. Well, that's not really helping me get to the point of where I want because I have poured my heart and soul into this. Or we've really, you know, <laughs> we're talking about writing a script and we we've we've spent 20 minutes on three words trying to, like, get things just right. When I talk about accepting or not paying attention to feedback, it's usually how dedicated, how good is this person at their field and and. How much do I respect them? How much do they do we respect each other? That that always plays a big role in it for me. I feel like I don't get a lot of criticism <laughs> because I think that I'm a nice person, um, but I don't think that that's a a great thing because uh, my work is definitely far from perfect, and we all thrive on feedback. So I think in the past, the little bit of feedback that I would get, uh, maybe if I was working on a, a freelance project. Um, and there have been a couple instances um, with um, with customers who have purchased things and then made had complaints about them. And I think I used to get really defensive about it because I just wasn't used to getting it very often. But I think that I've matured to the point where I try to take every piece of criticism and even, um, not that I get a ton of this, but you know, people leave a, a, like a comment that might be mean or may, may challenge me in a way. I think that minus the internet trolls, there's always a kernel of truth. Even if it's coming from like a mean spirited place, it's good to take those opportunities to look at yourself and say, okay, like this thing that they're poking at that, that they have found that is a criticism, are they actually in the right? Like, can I improve? Um, so yeah, I try to, I try to be on that constant path to, uh, to improvement and it's hard to do, but I try to take the emotions out of it too. I mean, this is no secret that you're the person I share everything with that we, you know, create and whether, you know, just for, for, a, you know, uh, an, an eye on it um, from a person I, I respect greatly. But I've always thought that we've had that open kind of relationship where it's like, you know, how does this sound? What do you think about this? You know, I, I think honestly, it's, it's almost like the relationship that I compare all other creative relationships to. And it's unfair because nobody could be you, but yet it's like. It's how I feel about that process. Yeah, but I think you kind of nailed it with with your answer. If you respect the other person's opinion, which we do of each other, 
it never really feels like a critique. It really feels like, like I have you, when I send you something to look at, like I have you in my corner and I know that you have my best interest in giving me your honest feedback. Right. I think that's the key word. It's having the other person's best interests in, in mind, not your own personal biases towards, you know, the piece of, of, of art or whatever it is that you're creating. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's not easy to take criticism. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Um, especially I think when we're creating art and we're putting stuff out there, it's like, it feels like we're like bearing a piece of our soul sometimes. And, um, you know, when that isn't received in the way that we think it's going to, it's hard to keep going, but we need to keep going. Allison had another question that she asked and, um, I think this probably makes more sense for you to answer than me. Allison, I'm not taking a pass, but I'm going to take a pass on this one. Um, what is the best time and or financial investment you made for your creative business? A few years ago, I went through a, I guess it would be considered to be an online marketing program. It's called Business by Design. It's hosted by James Wedmore. And that program was something that I wish I had invested in and gone through when I first went off on my own. I mean, it didn't exist at that time, but it was exactly what I needed to do some of the things that I had been afraid to do, one of them being creating a my own program um, that I put out. So while I would absolutely recommend that program for, for anyone to at least consider, I would encourage people who look who are looking into programs in general to really make sure that you mesh with the person who created it because I have been following James Webmore's content for probably two years before I signed up for his program, listened to all of his podcasts, and I really had an understanding of his teaching style and his methodology. And I mean, what really attracted me to that specific program is that it combines the principles of both marketing and business with mindset. And that was that really spoke to me. And I think that the program was successful for me because the principles were all in alignment. It's cool to learn from you. How about your Audio Technica mic? That hasn't been a good investment for you? No, it hasn't been a great investment. Thank you very much. But we got compliments from Tyler when we did Tyler's podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, Tyler Narducci, who was on our on our uh on our podcast a while back, uh, who also submitted a question, which happens to be next on the list. Oh, look at uh, that segue. Right. Yeah. Well, that's how they do it in the biz. Um, he, uh, complimented our audio when we did it and, uh, you know, got to give something to the audio technica people. They are, they make it, they make a decent microphone. Yeah. Decent. So Tyler, um, Narducci, um, asked us what's the most valuable skill to learn as a person building a business or progressing a career in the digital marketing industry? Listening and being open to all kinds of people and all kinds of opinions. I probably should elaborate on this, but I'll let you talk and maybe it'll well, I'm wondering spark ideas. If, I'm wondering if what I'm going to say is going to be kind of where you were going with this. And if it's not, I, I apologize for that interlude. But um I think it's about aligning yourself with the right people who are going to help you. You probably would say the first thing that, it, you know, this business that you built is not all you. Like, you know, you, you stand on the shoulders of other people. You've learned from other people. You've taken things from other people, made it your own with your own special, you know, in your own special way. 
Because I agree with you about listening, and I think that's part of it, right? I mean, like it's it's being willing to learn from other people who have been there before or who can help you succeed in that capacity. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and I would not be where I am without <laughs> without lots of other smart people guiding the way. But I'm glad that you said that because I should also clarify that when I said listening, also listening to your audience, listening to what people want, I think you know, as creative people, like we have lots of ideas and we want to do our own thing, but we also, at least if you want to make money through your creative work, you have to serve the needs of what people are asking you for. And I realize that's a really hard balance to strike and I'm not the best at it, but at least being willing to hear what people have to say and not, you know, blaming external things like, you know, algorithms or the economy for your lack of success and maybe take a step back and say like, okay, what, what is it that people are asking me for? And in, in what, you know, what kind of creative solutions can I come up with to help people? What skill has grown the most for you? Um, since you started this, like what, what thing didn't you have at the beginning that you have developed into a stronger skill set now that you feel like without that, you wouldn't be where you are. Is it listening? Tactically, definitely email marketing is what I would recommend to anyone who's, who's looking to, you know, scale a business quickly. But from, I don't know what what would you classify the the other side of that being like more of a like a non tangible skill or a yeah I I honestly feel like it's confidence for me I really <laughs> was not a confident person for most of my life and it's hard to put yourself out there especially when we have social media and we see all of these really cool people doing great things. There's always, there will always be people who are better than you. And it's hard to show up to do something when you know that there's someone else out there who's already doing what you're doing and they're doing a great job. It's almost like, what is the point? So it, it was, I actually answered a variation of this question on Tyler's podcast when he just interviewed us recently, which we will link to in the show notes. I forget what the question was, but my answer was, understand that there is room for everyone. And I think, you know, among other things that helped my confidence to grow, one of them was coming to understand that, that even though there are, you know, hundreds of other people who are doing something extremely similar to what I do, I have my own voice and I have something of value to share and that I'm going to be able to serve a, you know, specific group of people. And, you know, that's worth showing up for. Our next question comes from Nicolette, who was another one of our Conversations with Creatives guests. And her question was, do you think that businesses should have to put out a statement whenever a social injustice is committed? My short answer is yes, I, 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 I believe they should. If you feel someone has been slighted or someone has been oppressed or someone has been treated wrong, and there's something you can do to help that, especially with the, the the spectrum that we've been dealing with right now with with George Floyd at the time that we're recording this this episode. I mean, this isn't an isolated thing, um, and it and it shouldn't be. It's it's a movement that is that is caught on um, that's been building for a while, and every time 
this happens in our country, I feel like it takes another step forward. But I feel like we're at a point right now where it's a it's enough is enough. And we can't just let it kind of slide, slide away and go back to the way things were before it happened. And I think you're seeing businesses, brands um, stand up and recognize this. I mean, something that I always I, I feel like is not often thought of is some of these businesses, all of these businesses, um, in the case that we're talking about right now, have black employees, have people who have been treated horribly, and you should stand up for them. They should be able to feel like their employer has their back. Um, you know, be damned what consumers think. I, I, I believe that this is something that employers should feel like or employees should feel that their employer has their back and that they're going to do what they can to see that this is this is the end of this. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with putting out a statement when a social injustice or a racial injustice is, is committed to let people know where you stand as a, as a company or an organization. I don't feel like anyone should tell any business how they should do things. Not to say I'm I'm trying to, to take my personal opinions about everything that's going on out of this and just kind of look at this from a, an, an aerial view. It, it's it's a weird thing to kind of like look at this from a a business standpoint or, or a marketing standpoint. And you and I talked about this uh, a little bit last week, but it's 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 been interesting to see how different businesses have been handling or or not handling this. In seeing so many people post messages about losing customers, losing followers, I kind of feel like who cares? Like why? Why are we even? Why are we even talking about losing customers or losing followers? Because fans, if we still use that word, the old Facebook word, fans of a business or customers of a business should know what that business stands for. So. If that business chooses to come out and make a statement, that shouldn't be a huge shock to them if that business is doing a good job of sharing their message all the time. What I do think has happened um, in the last few weeks is that businesses, mine being one of them, have realized that we haven't done the best job of sharing where we stand on on stuff like this before all of this happens. So I think what what we're all doing right now is kind of scrambling to fix our past mistakes so our customers do know where we stand. They should know it's not enough just to put a statement out there and say, okay, done. Like it should be because the words on the paper are going to be matched by effort and it's going to be matched by by meaning. It, it, it can't just be about putting a statement out there and saying we're done. You know, I work in education. School districts wanted to put things out there pretty much immediately the weekend after George Floyd was killed. And I get it. But if you're going to put something out there, you better back it up. Because if there's an issue in your district that's race driven and parents show up and say, but you said then how important or worth it, how worthy is that statement if you're not backing it up? So, again, should they put something out there? I believe so, but only if you're going to back it up. Mm -hmm. Don't just put it out there to say something. Yes. So my friend Ellie Parvin, 
who doesn't have a podcast, but she has her own Facebook live show, which we'll link to, asked the question, oh, I should also um, mention that since I brought up Business by Design, that is where I met Ellie through that program. We were both at at the live event that was connected to that program. So another benefit to come out of it. Uh, So Ellie asked us a few questions, the first of which was, what is the episode that made you laugh the most? I think anything where you can't get words out when you're like in the middle of a passionate, you know, (laughs) when you're in the middle of like a passionate speech about something and then like you hit a wall. Which I just did, which we're going to cut out of the episode, but like that happens quite often. Right. No, I remember doing something where we got into a into a um, an animated discussion on Ikea in one episode, uh, which I thought was hysterical and my hatred for for Ikea. I don't know if there's one, Ellie, I don't know if there's one specific episode, but um, moments from from certain episodes have definitely resonated with me over the years that have made me laugh a lot. So we had an episode that we recorded in December of 2019 called the airing of grievances. And I feel like that was a really fun episode because I feel like a lot of our relationship is just airing grievances. And I Mm -hmm. think that we try to bring a little bit of professionalism behind the mic. But in that episode, we were just like, whatever, we're just going to tell everyone what we think about everything. So I like that episode. Yeah. I like that episode. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I hope. I don't know. I don't know if we'll be able to go outside at Christmas time. This, you know, like actually be around people. But no, I uh, I'm looking forward to doing another airing of the grievances in December. I think this can be an annual thing. This could be a thing. Oh, it's definitely going to be a thing. But um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that uh, our friend Keith wants to be part of that next episode. That would be kind of cool. I, I I I could I could definitely see having uh, Keith and in, in, involved with that being the Seinfeld aficionado that he is. Yes. Uh, Ellie also asked, um, what is your favorite episode of the 49 you've done? I have not done this in a while, but last weekend, I went back and listened to a couple of our old episodes, and I found one that I really enjoyed. The episode was episode 18, and it's called The Change is Gonna Come, and you know, this is without listening to our entire archive, but this one just happens to be top of mind. I felt like it was a really solid episode in being both light and funny and, you know, having our usual banter in there, especially in the beginning of the episode. But we also tackle some more serious topics. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm crying at the end of it, but I feel like it's a really it's got a, a wide breadth of stuff. It's a well-packed episode. So I, I would say that episode, episode 18, and I have one other one that has always been a favorite for me, and that is episode 33 called How Documentaries Make Us Better mm. Storytellers. And I I often feel like this show could just be us talking about TV, movies, music, and documentaries. And I think we did that a little bit in that episode, and that's why it's one of my favorites. Um, I like the one that we did on Firefest. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a fun one to do, um, where we kind of looked at it from a marketing perspective, um, in addition to the documentary. But I like the one that we did on on finding your creative community. Um, that was that was a lot of fun. That was one of the that was in the first the, within the first twenty that we did. Um, 
I like that one because I feel like the definition of community has changed with the power of social media groups, um, you know, people that you identify with. I really kind of dig that that episode, you know, where a community can be two people, a community can be 30 people, 100 people. It really doesn't matter. It's about finding your tribe and um, kind of growing and learning with them and from them. I like that episode a lot. All right. So we have another question from Ellie. And this one is, can you know... It's really stuff in the ballot box. Here, yeah. You know but like I'm, this is, I'm grateful yeah. because without Ellie, no, then good. it would, you know, we'd have like two questions. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so her next question is, can you notice a difference in your podcast hosting style between your first episode and your most recent episode? Yeah, easily. We don't talk over each other as much as we did the first few episodes. I would say like the first 10 episodes, it was like, no, you go. Okay, okay, you go. Um, it was a lot of that. Also, uh, less hand motions on your part. You, you, really? You do a good job of, yeah, I, th- I think the straps that you put on the chair really have helped to <laughs> keep you keep you restrained. That You're the only person who is affected by the hand motions. Most people well, don't I see, see them. Well, I see them a lot. Right. It's like they're coming at me like it's a, like signals, it's a, Jerry. You know, a 3D. Signals. Yeah. <laughs> See, these are my favorite moments. Any kind of underrated Seinfeld reference. No, it's like being in an IMAX theater sometimes with you. It's just I feel like I'm ducking every time. No, significantly less hand motions. Yes. yes. I feel like you should tee up the next two just because of your relationship to, to, to these individuals. Sure. There was one episode in our 50 that Steve was not a part of. That was episode number 12, uh, also our first conversations with creatives episode, uh, featuring a bit of nepotism here, my sister, Laura Tropiano, and her creative partner, Sierra Kiarsis. And Laura and Sierra have an Instagram account called See and Explore, which we will absolutely link to, and they were kind enough to give us a couple questions to answer. The first of those is, how do you transition your creative passion into a business? Well, this seems right up your alley, so I'll just sit back and listen to this. Yeah, I get this one a lot, and um, I always struggle to answer it because I feel like I'm still, I know that I have a business that's based on you know, a creative passion, but I still feel like I'm <laughs> learning through it. My answer is a little bit at a time. I know you you probably hear, you know, jump and a, and a net will appear. Like you just have to take the leap. But the reality is you have to be responsible. You have to make sure that you're going to stay financially afloat before you quit your day job and, and hop into this creative passion. So my advice is start dabbling, um, be willing to put in some extra hours, work nights. And I feel like if that passion part is really part of it, it will feel a lot more like fun than work. And also should add in lesson for me along the way is be willing to ask for help, not just not just in helping you do tasks that you feel like you need to do to grow your business, but ask for support and realize that it's it's not a sign of weakness to go to people and just say like I'm really struggling with this or even saying like I had a really crappy day can you just listen to me vent about it I think that that is all part of the the growth process in growing your creative business 
their second question is what accomplishments are you most proud of since you started this podcast? And this, this might be deflecting a little bit, but one of the ones that I'm most, I'm most proud of is you've done like a couple of like speaking gigs since this all started. And I know that wasn't necessarily one of your like strong suits. Like we could do a podcast cause it's just you and me, but I don't know if you would have been completely comfortable with taking that leap had you not put yourself out there and did this kind of a thing. And I kind of present a lot. I've had a little bit more experience doing it over the years for certain purposes. And you had said that, you know, that's something that I want to do and I want to get better at. And you've done it. You've been asked back. You've done it again. Like, you know, it's 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 become such a a a part of you now that like I think one of the things as a team that I'm kind of like proud of is, is that, you know, it's funny before we started the podcast. And I feel like one of the things that led to us even creating this was you coming to me and kind of doing a little bit of that venting and saying like, am I crazy? Like, is this how it should be? And I think that since we started the podcast, I've seen you since we started the podcast take some creative risks and I think that you have learned when and where to push the envelope and one of those things that I'm really proud of is your most recent video series that you built with your team which didn't really come out of an assignment it was just kind of something that you wanted to do and I'm a big believer in when you do what you want to do and you do what you're passionate about, it's the product comes out amazing. And that was definitely the case with, what would you call it? A video series or a, a yeah, campaign, a, campaign, a video a campaign, campaign, yeah. a, a yeah, campaign. campaign. And, um, you just did such a great job with it. And I, I realized after you presented the, when you showed me the first video, the first cut of the first video, I was like, wait, so you just did this? Like this wasn't, an assignment. And I think just the fact that like you went ahead and did it and put it together and it came out that good just made me really proud that, that you took that leap. That, that is a healthy leap to take. <laughs> oh, the part of that project. Thank you. The part of that project, with, which is so much fun is working with our amazingly talented videographer, um, Lindsay Quackenbush. Um, she's phenomenally talented and it was a lot of fun to, to be a part of her creative mind with this too and kind of have some really great creative sessions that was a lot of fun we'll definitely link up to those and i hope that you will continue to do more projects like that our uh, one of the next ones we have is from elliot gerard who was on uh, our podcast not too long ago with um you're gonna forget keith their names and again? no i'm gonna remember their names with keith and jonah <laughs> smarty and his uh question was or is as a creative, what do you think we should be doing to support the Black Lives Matter movement? I feel like you should be doing whatever is on your heart. This goes back to what Steve said before. Don't just do it because you're afraid that people are going to call you a racist or you're afraid of how you're going to look. Because I, I think that more people think that people are looking at them than they actually are. The The voices that we're seeing float to the top are the ones that are actually backed by by meaning. So I wish I had taken more time to think about this um, in terms of how I was going to um, support this movement from from my business. But 
um, what I came around to was uh, read books by by black authors. Um, you guys hear me talk about this a lot on this podcast, how much I love to read. And I realized in going through my library that I had little to no books written by black writers. And that made me feel more sad than bad. Um, sad for myself that I have been limiting myself to, you know, specific genres, yes, but like, you know, I, I tend to, once I find an author, I like just kind of read their stuff over and over again when there is, I talk about, um, you know, books and abundance going together so often and there, there is an abundance of books out there. There are more books than we will ever be able to read, but I know that now in finding these new awesome black writers that, you know, my, my life is going to be richer as a result of reading from reading their words from their perspectives. And I feel like, you know, at the heart of, of what's going on right now is it's a lot of people not understanding each other. I think that that's like really where the conflict is coming from. And to use our listen word again, the best way to understand one another is to listen. So that's what I'm doing. I've been listening myself, but it's the stories that I feel have been so captivating and, and it runs the, 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 the spectrum. So like some of the more painful examples of what um, African-Americans in this country have been dealing with for generations. And I think we're aware of these things, but they really don't factor into our day-to-day mindset and having them front and center and listening to the pain and listening to the honesty, um, has made me, has moved me emotionally, has moved me. Um, so I think sometimes has made me feel kind of, um, exposed or naked and, you know, you're left with this, like, I gotta do something. Um, I gotta, I gotta help. Um, and I think as, as creatives, anything that we can do to help amplify those stories in ways that we know are going to resonate with people, um, just to help support. All right. So back to another more businessy type question. This question was submitted by Kathy Hunnicutt, who is a member of my community, one of my favorite I know we're not supposed to play favorites, but one of my favorite members of my community. And she said, I know you've mentioned resisting niching down. So I would love to hear both of your opinions and experiences with niching down or not in your creative work and why that works for you. For so long, I went so deep in into social and I kind of feel like at, at some point in time along the way, I hit a wall and you realize that you were so buried in the tool that you weren't really looking around about where it became, what it, what it, what it has become and how it's so interconnected to everything else that we do. Um, that that's where it's forced me to kind of pull back a little bit and look at it across the board from marketing video, all of these, all of these umbrella kind of terms. My recommendation is in whatever industry you, you're in, in this creative field, try to learn as much as you can about everything that somehow touches and affects your piece of the pie, because it's only going to make you stronger and better and more aware of 
your industry. If you get too narrow-minded, you really only look at the world through that prism. And I've paid the price for that sometimes over the years. And I've had to take a look in the mirror and say, I'm not necessarily as where I need to be in some other areas of this. And I need to sort of up my game and again, follow people on Twitter who are immensely talented in these areas and start learning from them because they're giving away this advice for free. Might as well take advantage of it. Like it's helped me to, I think, become a more well-rounded digital specialist in that, that sort of, um, so I, I would always caution somebody from getting too deep in a specific area. I mean, know your stuff, but don't just pigeonhole yourself to that to that one area. Try to be aware of as much as you can to help strengthen your general knowledge of everything. As a creative person, every time I hear niche down, I'm just like, no, don't put me in that box. I want to do all these things. So don't tell me what I can and can't do. But... <laughs> I will say, if I'm putting my business owner hat on, in my experience, the more you can niche down, the more successful you will be. Because if you are able to speak to a very specific group of people and meet their very specific needs with your knowledge, those people will feel understood and you will be able to serve them and some of them will become customers, some of them will become part of your community, some both. The advice that I try to follow and also dish out a lot is if you're running your own business, niche down, figure it out, get it running so that you can play and not have to worry about going off brands or doing things differently. And and that, I mean, that that is what I am doing right now. I have what I consider to be my niche audience, which is the the principles side of things, which Kathy, you're, you're part of that community. But in, in having that business um, up and running, it allows me to do things like this, to do the podcast and to write a book, which really have nothing to do with, with principles. Um, I mean, I, I guess it all falls under the umbrella of creativity, but doing these types of things like podcasting and writing and whatever I feel like doing that day, are the things that drive me to make my business better. So I think it's about striking that balance of, of being able to do both of those things. I know it's easier said than done. It's taken me a long time. That's a good question, Kathy. I really, I, that's, that's, that's probably no offense to any question that we've answered <laughs> up to this point. I find that to be the most difficult one to answer. There's the next question that came from, from Brie Lewerke, who was another uh, conversation with creative, uh, conversations with creative guest. Um, Bree has, by the way, uh, she lives in Minneapolis and she has, I believe it's Minneapolis. She might not live exactly in Minneapolis, but she's pretty close. She's been all over this Black Lives Matter movement, marches and rallies and things that have been taking place in the city. And true to form, being the brilliant photographer that she is, has taken some incredible photos of this of this movement and cannot recommend following her on Instagram for her content. There's a website that she's created that we'll link up to in the show notes that is is uh, loaded with her with her content. With that lead in, uh, here is her question: What is the most fulfilling thing you have experienced as a result of hosting the podcast, uh, whether it's a career fulfillment or a personal one? Am I going first? Well, I asked the question, so yeah, you okay. should probably go first. Well, now I'm going to change my answer because I was about to say something really nice. Oh, okay. 
I was going to say it's getting to work with you. It's it's hands down. There's there's not an answer that comes even close to that. It's something that I look forward to every time we get to record. It's fun getting to create and collaborate with you. And I'm really grateful that we get to do this together. I honestly, I would say the same thing. It is like we've we've talked about this a lot. I mean, this this started with this was birthed with us just having conversations regularly on Google Hangouts, and then it was, hey, let's there's got to be other people who feel the same way we feel. Let's do something about this. And sure as you know what, there's definitely other people who feel the same way we do. And to get to come back and do this every other week, um, which is pretty much our trying to stick to recording schedule. And get to talk with awesome people like Bree um, and some of the great people who have asked questions on on this episode. It's cool. The next question that we got came from George Pagan, who's a buddy of mine from um, from Cornwall growing up. And he's he's always um, interacting with our content. He's doing some amazing things, too, in his personal fitness coaching business. He asked, do you think freelance or contract work uh, will increase and, in essence, replace an in-house staff or a creative team? I think Yes. A lot of businesses in the last few months have uh, let go of a lot of people. And I do think that businesses will bounce back eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later. And especially when it comes to creative work, I am of a strong opinion that freelance contract makes so much more sense than in-house in most situations, of course not not all, but just due to the nature of the work. And I, of the creative people that I know, uh, I think it's what we prefer. And I think it's how we produce the best work is to have a little bit more uh, flexibility, especially when it comes to working hours. You know, in some ways, it, it might be more cost effective for some brands. But I think the flexibility is what's is what's key. If you can kind of if you can have a say in the control in your schedule and what you can take in and what you need to make ends meet and be able to stick to that schedule and not feel like you're being overwhelmed because you're working a set amount of hours. And I think that only stands to benefit not only you, your creative mind, but also your customers. Uh, another buddy of mine uh, from from work, Sarah Helmuth, asked, uh, what is your favorite comfort show to watch? I You can go first. I, Steve, I feel like we could do... And we could have a, an entire podcast, not episode, like a whole podcast dedicated to this topic. Okay, but we know, like, okay, we both like The Office and we both like Seinfeld and uh, we both like Frasier and there's a bunch of other shows individually that we like. I'm actually really intrigued by what you're going to answer this question, how you're going to answer this question, because I don't think it's, I don't think it's easy. Oh, well, I feel like you just answered it. Is it The Office, or is it Seinfeld? It's it's all. I mean, it's it's really all. No, you got to pick. I, I have to narrow show, it down. Not shows, favorite comfort show. This is why I think this is compelling oh. to me. If you had could only watch one to provide you comfort, what would it be? It's Seinfeld. I think it has to be Seinfeld because I know it better than the other shows that you mentioned that I also love and wish I could pick as my answers, but know it so well that pretty much have it memorized. And mm -hmm. that gives it a level of familiarity that is, is unmatched. And I think that that is a comforting quality, but also like this may be like weird cause it's not really comforting, but the whole, what is the thing that Larry says? It's like, no, 
no no hugging no hugging no, hugging. no feelings no crying no lessons learned no lessons i kind of like <laughs> that was the premise of the show there's no there's no music at the end and no lesson learned and no hugging the father hugs the kid and that's the end of it yeah. that was really what they wanted i think i kind of find comfort in the fact that that show is not about feelings so when i'm feeling feelings and i don't want to deal with them i want to go watch this show that is going to make me forget about them you go deep on your feelings with sitcoms huh i guess so yeah evidently really can't stand it when a character's feeling something (laughs) this says favorite comfort show and i'm gonna i'm gonna be a stickler for this this doesn't say favorite show so if this said favorite show i would say seinfeld it says favorite comfort show. And I would say Frasier. Like I have an identity with those characters. Um, I feel like there's a part of me or my family in a lot of those characters, whether it's neuroticism. My father reminds me a little bit of Marty Crane. My dad was a corrections officer 25 years and, you know, hard, hard has a hard personality sometimes, but is also a teddy bear. And, you know, there's a lot of that kind of connection to that show. Uh, the writing is smart writing which i love you know i love that and it's hysterical on top of it so frazier's a show that i could probably watch you know watch 10 12 episodes in a row on and and feel like i'm i'm in a good spot keith asked us a couple questions one of them oh i should probably we've talked about keith already in this episode so many times so i feel like i don't need to introduce him but i will anyway keith steckler has been on two of our episodes we will link to both of them one solo one with his team and his first question was what is your favorite pop tart brown sugar cinnamon is my favorite pop tart that's my runner-up i don't typically keep pop tarts in the house because i have a sweet tooth and i eat them if they're there but every time i watch gilmore girls which is usually like once a year Pop-Tarts are featured heavily in that show. I don't know if it was product placement or just something that the writers liked, but every time I watch Gilmore Girls, I go out and buy a whole lot of Pop-Tarts. And when I do, I usually get the brown sugar cinnamon, but also get the the strawberry, but that has like some frosting on top of it. Yeah, the so, icing is on top. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I loved Pop-Tarts as a kid, and then I found out like just how many like just how bad they are. Oh my God. There's so many calories. When I eat them, I try to only have one and then I put the other one like in a Ziploc bag and like save it. (laughs) Yeah. It was like when I found out how many calories are in muffins, it was like somewhere around the age of like 20, 21. And I'm like, Oh my God, all I've done is eat muffins like for 10 years. This is not going to be good for the rest of my life. But you know, my relationship with pop tarts is usually work specific. Like I haven't had a pop tart in months, but there's a good chance that like during the course of a week, if I can't get to lunch because you're in the middle of stuff, it's Pop-Tarts out of the vending machine at work. So, uh, yeah, those are uh, that's a big connection in my life, my work <laughs> life that's been missing since you've been working from home. And I'm not buying them. So, <laughs> OK, our next question comes from Jen Hartman, who was our most recent uh, guest. And she asked, which guest challenged your thinking the most and perhaps had you thinking about the conversation more than others? I, I, I mean, I assume she means after we were done with it. Mm-hmm. Every single one of our guests has sparked a thought or an idea. And we call the episode segment conversations with creatives. But Steve and I definitely continue these conversations after the fact, after we, we have um, these awesome people on to interview them. I think... 
that Carly was probably one who who challenged me the most, but which may not be a completely fair answer because I feel like she's always challenging me in the content that that she puts out there. I feel like she her her brand and what her blog is about is, you know, it's like fashion and and sewing and she's considered to be like an influencer, but I feel like she is really sets herself apart from all of the other people in her area of expertise because she's I don't know, she's like really smart and she's always challenging her audience with with ideas and basically to like just be a be a better person, be a better citizen. And um, one of the things that we I feel like we've talked about a lot since having her on is is really that idea of having a niche, having a brand and how do you how do you do all the things that you want to do and still maintain a brand? And the answer that she gave us was great, which is I mean, when it comes down to it, like, you know, be yourself, be true to yourself. But I encourage you guys to go and listen to her entire interview. That's it's still one of my favorites that we've done. If not, I think it's my favorite that we've we've done with a guest from a personal standpoint. We've had amazing guests on, but selfishly, it's my favorite. Um, I would say Adam, um, Adam Pierno for me. There was a segment that we did or a part that we did in that episode where he talked about he could basically give us uh, the plot of our favorite, our most favorite uh, rom-com movie, uh, or he could tell us what our, what our most favorite rom-com movie is. And he didn't say the title, but basically he gave you the premise of it, which basically proves to you that every rom-com is the same. It's just different actors and you know different different settings and whatever it is. But in essence, the the nuts and bolts of it are the same. And I knew this. I think you knew it too. But when you hear it play out and you realize like, oh man, I'm a fool. Like I've been, I've been taken all these years watching these things. And yet like, you know, I should have seen it coming. That kind of is my, my takeaway when it means like it's knowing what an audience really wants from you and what they're looking for. And then doing that. If you have the, if you have the blueprint down, all you're doing is just filling in gaps and pieces with the things that you know are going to resonate the most with them and provide them what they want from you. That was something that I took away from that episode and that I think a lot about daily when it comes to creating content um, for audiences. And speaking of Adam, Adam was cool enough to send us in a voice recording of his questions. So let's listen to it. Hey, Steve and Michelle, congratulations on 50 episodes it is no small task to have the staying power to get 50 of these things done, knowing everything that goes into an episode, uh, getting it set up and getting it up and running. So congratulations on that. I do have a question and I'm hoping you'll use it. How do you address creative conflict when you're, when you're at loggerheads, when you're in a disagreement? What's the best approach or what's the approach you found to be most effective at resolving that while maintaining trust, maintaining, maintaining partnership in a creative project. Thanks guys. Steve, 50 episodes and close to 20 years of friendship. I won't age us too much, but that is, (laughs) that is a long time, but like, have we ever had a major like no. creative disagreement? Not one, not once. No, I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad. Th- I mean, it's a good thing for our friendship, but yeah. like, I don't know if it's just like we, you know, we just think alike, and sometimes that can be dangerous. But no, I don't. I can't recall ever having, you know, a, a major or a creative disagreement about something where like we have to like 
navigate a path. It's not that we've never had like, a, oh, geez, I don't know. What do you think? But it's honestly like we already respect each other to begin with. So the conversations are usually pretty simple. And I think it's when they're when they're difficult conversations that you have with people you're in creative partnerships with, it's usually when you doubt the other person or you don't have the other person's trust. Because if you're waiting, I think, to, to, to say your piece in something, you're doing it the wrong way. Like you're not listening to the other person. And I know we're both trying to get to the same end point. So I'm usually more willing if I have a difference of opinion on something, I'm not usually willing to draw a line in the sand over it. Um, I think because we both know where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, pick your battles and I don't think that either of us have ever picked one. So, um, we mentioned, um, Jonah earlier, uh, on, uh, when we were referencing some of the many times that we've been on or they've been on our podcast or we, we've been on each other's podcasts. They're but, like podcast uh, cousins at this point, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Jonah Ballow, um, who was on a couple weeks back, uh, with Keith and Elliot also submitted a question and he submitted it through, uh, uh, MP3 upload. And, um, here's his question. Hey, Michelle and Steve, big fan of the podcast. Uh, A question for you both. As someone who works with creatives and in content production, I'm constantly battling uh, feedback uh, and the idea that, you know, we submit either to a client or for an internal review. And sometimes you take that feedback a little personally. And because it's so subjective, everybody has a different viewpoint. So it's difficult sometimes to get to the end goal especially if I have something or somebody on my team has a vision for that piece of content. So how do you guys deal with the feedback and how do you get to a place where you get the final product and everybody can be truly happy about it? Even if it means that piece of content is not exactly what you intended to create from the beginning. Okay, go ahead. I feel like this is something that you could answer better than I can because I, I work pretty solo, except for when I work with you and I don't really have to answer to people telling me to revise things or, or change things. Um, but I, I do really resonate with that point about when it comes to creative work, sometimes it's, it's not like right or wrong. It's just someone's opinion. So like, if you feel really strongly about a piece of work that you're putting out there and then the other person says, no, we need to do this differently or, you know, actually you need to add this in and it it just doesn't sit right with you. Like, you know, do you stand your ground or or do you push back? And I think it's picking your battles. And in, in my little bit of experience with this, I rather sleep at night and I let things go. I let things go more often than not because in the scheme of things, like there are things in my life that matter to me a lot. And most of those have little to do with, with work itself when it comes down to it, you know, I do. I struggle with letting things go, as you know, (laughs) in some aspects of my life In the creative field, when you have people who are working on things and working on deliverables and they have to share them with people who aren't working on them for feedback, we're always taught you have to understand that they might have other things that they're thinking of and things that are on their mind and things that they have to kind of make sure that are included in things. And sometimes those things can muck up the creativeness and the design or the certain element or the touch that you had on things, or sometimes it changes everything altogether. Sometimes I don't feel like that feeling is reciprocated. 
that you don't feel like the person working on the creative piece has put their heart and their mind and their creative effort into this, that they really care about this, that this isn't just, let me take these three things off the shelf and put them into a pot and that's going to be it. Like there's actual thought and love and care in many ways that go into things. Um, so part of me wishes that that thought process was reciprocated. Um, as much as we have to recognize when people who aren't creatives have things that are on their mind, sometimes it's, yeah, but you know what? This person really put a lot of thought into this and they probably have the best interest in mind for where we want to go with this. I don't always think that that comes back the other way. Always. That being said, I still come back to the pick and choose battles. You know, it, 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 as much as I have a hard time letting things go, I think at the end of the day, if you have a piece of, <laughs> of work and there's three things that you wanted to have, uh, in there and, and one of them got swapped out for something and the other two stayed like, it's not bad. You know, like it's, 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 it's not the end of the world. I just know it's not easy and I'm not sure Jonah that I have the best answer. Um, cause I still really struggle with it myself and it still ticks me off and I, I have all those feelings, but I think it's just part of the industry that we're in here in art in many ways and it's subjective and, um, that's a really sometimes unfair spot to be in. But, um, I think we have to do our best to try to work together and get, you know, get along. And sometimes it's just kind of swallowing your pride. Having those creative outlets helps too, where it doesn't feel like, okay, this is like my, my one thing that I, that I poured my heart and soul into and that someone is telling me to change. You can see it as like, okay, this is, this is one project. I still have all of these other things where I'm in creative control. I think that right. that really helps soften it. All right. The final question of our batch of questions comes from Keith Steckler. We felt like this would be the right one to end on. If you could change your format for the next 50 episodes, what change or changes would you make? We kind of talked about this a little bit recently. Maybe doing some shorter episodes. So that's my answer. If I could do one thing, it would be to cut down significantly the time that we record episodes in. Uh, I think the only reason why we wouldn't it be funny if we have a big fight right now and it blows up the partnership <laughs> after 50 episodes over this one thing, Keith, you're responsible for the ruining of podcast. Um, I, I think, I, I think we started this format and we did an episode, the first couple of episodes were somewhere in the 35 to 45 minute range, 50 minutes, somewhere in that ballpark. And I feel like that side of been sort of been like the benchmark mentally, not that we shoot for a certain time. They just all seem to be in that window. And oftentimes I think to myself, do people have 45, 50 minutes of uninterrupted time to just listen to something? I, I don't in my life. Now, that's just me. You might, but I don't know how many people are more like you in their set in their circumstances and how many people are more like me. You oftentimes hear people say like, oh, when they're at the gym, they listen to it. Okay, well, there's 45 or 50 minutes potentially. Sometimes people listen to podcasts on their commute to work. Well, I don't know how many people drive 50 minutes to work. My commute's about 20 minutes to work. So you know, you start thinking about different formats, but the one thing I kind of like is, is that when you're in a shorter time span, you can go really like you can, you can focus on one thing as opposed to saying, this is our topic. And we're going to talk about like four or five different tent poles under that topic, as opposed to one topic, one tent pole. I sort of like that, that shorter episode mentality. Uh, and, and, um, that would be one change that I would make is to is to cut down significantly on the time for these. I'm in. What? 
I'm not going to have an argument with you over the mic. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Talk about this off the air. No, I, I will say I personally, in, in podcasts that I listen to, I love the long form. I'll listen to like a three-hour episode like it's nothing, even if I have to listen to it in batches. But I feel like for the type of content that we put out there, especially hitting on some of these little topics I can see where it would make sense to to do shorter episodes. I think they would be more digestible and people would get more out of them if they knew that they didn't have to sit through some of the fluff. Oh, man. Well, this was fun. I had a lot of fun going through these questions. Thank you again to every one of you who submitted all of our former guests who have submitted and have made appearances in the first 50. Thank you. We hope to revisit you and have you on again uh, in the next 50, kind of see where you are and where things have been and how things are going. And to you, this has been an amazing, uh, amazingly fun opportunity that started out on a, hey, let's see where it goes and has turned into, well, just slightly more than, hey, let's see where it goes, (laughs) but it's still good. It's still a lot of fun. It is. This is really fun and a good way to, uh, to market a milestone and look forward to having more of them. Yeah, here's to 50 more. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at pod for creatives and let us know which stood out to you. Put a photo out on Instagram the other day of uh, penne vodka that I made and it wasn't up there 20 seconds before you're already <laughs> patting your back, patting yourself on the back for the one you made a couple of weeks ago. No, I had that out, coming out of a holster. I was about to, because you had told me that you were out shopping for ingredients the day before and yeah. then... I made pasta on Sunday night, as we both do, and uh, I was getting ready to text you my photo, and then I saw that you put yours up on Instagram, so I I was coming in, you know, with my ambition. Yeah, yeah. right. No, that that, that (laughs) struck. Actually, I got that, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to reply just yet. I'm just going to let that one simmer. Maybe Maybe she'll feel bad about it and say, you know what? Sorry, I take it back. It didn't come, so... um, I guess one day we'll just have to have a taste test whenever that's going to be. Yes, we'll have to do, that would be really fun to do like a, yeah. a live episode slash uh, live cooking competition. That would be good. That would be really good. It's rare that I walk away from something that I make and go, this is really good. And like, it's usually like, this is good. Like, I like this. This this, this is where I kind of wanted it to be. This was really good. So, um, yeah, I I, uh, I was very proud of the way that turned out, despite your uh, uh, your your barb. So sorry for bringing you down. I'm sure it was huh. delicious, just not as delicious as mine. <laughs>